Hey, y'all, we want to take a second here to go ahead and give a shout out to our favorite mortgage lender and the official lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns. He's a mortgage broker with Prime Lending. I bought my house here in Colorado with Casey and I refinanced the property in Tennessee. And I was going to use Casey for that because I had such a great experience. And Casey told me, hey, man, like I'll be straight up with you. I can't. I can't match this other offer. So go with these other guys. Well, I went with those other guys and I regretted it. It was like a three month process for the refi. When I, when I bought my house here in Colorado, it was the easiest transaction for real estate I've ever had in my life. He handles everything. Like he has the heart of an educator, the heart of a teacher. And that's why we recommend him. I've known him for 10 years. I was best friends with his brother in college. I'm still good friends with Casey to this day. And we, we recommend him because of how good he is. So if you want to utilize Casey, give him a call, find out any information. Give him a shout at 919-710-1864. Or you can also reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com. And also go check out his website. Get all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, sitting here with my co-host and cousin, Perry. What's up, man? Not a whole lot, buddy. Tell you what, I'm excited for this episode. We've got a little uh, little treat for you guys out there, something a little bit different. So excited to get this one kicked off here. Tell us about our guest, Luke. Yeah, so today we've got my buddy John Hatton on. Uh, we've been buddies from the Army for a little over a year now. We were at the uh, Captain's Career Course together. It's where we met, became pretty quick buddies. And uh, John's had a pretty awesome kind of background uh, in the fly fishing world. He was a guide up in upstate New York when he was stationed at Fort Drum, has grown up, spending a lot of time on the water. And he got stationed out here with me at Fort Carson. We're in the same brigade. And so it's been great. He's kind of pulled me in, taught me a little bit about fly fishing. We've gone out a few times. So it's been a lot of fun. So I'm stoked to uh, to have him on. What's going on, John? How you doing? What's up, fellas? Good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we'll just start off with just a little bit about your background and kind of how you came up as a kid you know, growing up in the outdoors and, and what all that looked like and then joining the army and then guiding and all that. Yeah. So I grew up in, uh, the suburbia of Buffalo, um, which at the time in, you know, late nineties, early two thousands was still kind of getting built up. Um, so you found normal backyard ponds, uh, and creeks all over the place. Uh, ironically enough, nobody in my family fishes and my uncle was actually the one that got me into it. Uh, you know, starting from a young kid would bring me to those just, public ponds out in the out in the woods um so we got started there and then we had a pond behind my house that you know most kids start fishing out of right so start fishing for bass and panfish and stuff like that um when i hit high school um one of my buddies actually handed me my first fly rod and his dad took us on a guided steelhead trip and that was kind of like the i don't know how i'm gonna do this for the rest of my life but i just know like this is what i'm gonna do for wherever i go and whatever i do I'm going to have a fly rod in the truck and, and chase those things. So through high school, it was mostly self-taught because, you know, most high school kids don't have anything besides the basics. So it was self-taught through the internet. And that was when fishing blogs and, and stuff like that were just really starting to get going, um, you know, from what, 2007 to 2011. Uh, it was bumming rides to a river from my older brothers or my parents or whoever was free that day. Um, and most of this time was winter fishing since the steelhead run in New York is from probably about October through April is, is the meat of it. So most of it's definitely in the winter time. Um, moving on from that, went out to college outside Rochester, New York. Um, and that's when I really dove into it because I had a car, I was 10 minutes from a river 
had enough gear built up over a few years of high school fishing where I was like, all right, you know, no day of classes. We're going to go down to the river, uh, and met a couple cool buddies in college, um, that were big into fly fishing. And that's actually where I started, uh, the road to the guiding, uh, world. It wasn't, it wasn't in the, in college, but what happened was my buddy who actually did ROTC with him, uh, we were same kind of like us. It was day one. It was like, Oh, you like the fly fish? I like the fly fish. Let's go fly fishing. And that was day one of college. And his dad runs a big guiding service out of New York. Uh, so fish with fish with my buddy all through college. Um, you know, the crazy kids that would wake up hungover at 5am, go fishing all day and then drink all night. And then his dad would meet us up every now and then when he wasn't working. And he was the, the guide at the time. He was a, uh, worked in the corporate world around the 08 crash. He was like, fuck it, I'm out and, and started his own guiding company, took on a few extra guides, um, and kind of taught his son and, and myself a few of the things around uh, lake run salmon, steelhead and brown trout fishing on the Lake Ontario side. So that was kind of college, uh, really locked in most of my personal skills during college when I had the time to go out there, experiment with every type of thing um, and, and really run down new water, new, um, new experiences, stuff like that. Uh, moving into the army life, um, got orders to forge rum. And that was his son got orders of Fort Drum too. So we both went off to Bullock, came back in the uh, spring of 16, got licensed. And that's when we started working with his dad and actually started guiding, um, so which you, was fun. You did a lot of your guiding while on active duty. Yep. Yeah. Actually, all of it was, was active duty between cool. the years of 2016 up until I deployed in 18, which is when I got back from Afghanistan, uh, went down to Triple C and have been out of New York since then. Um and so really haven't been able to take the guiding elsewhere just because New York guides, uh, the system's set up a little bit differently there. They are detached from fly shops. Uh, so most guide, uh, guiding operations in New York, kind of Pennsylvania, Ohio, they're not as tied to fly shops as Montana, Colorado. These places, like you have to be uh, pretty much linked at the hip to these fly shops in those local areas. And those are who's getting the clients, who's getting the revenue. I'm sure you could, you could structure it out here where you can get your own client base and build your own book. Uh, but it, it just takes a lot of work to get that baseline foundation and book built. Uh, but it is doable. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see why that would be a struggle. I feel like out here too, with the way fly fishing is, is there's probably like a big good old boy network too. Yeah. And yeah. yeah just culturally. Right. And that's something you'll see like definitely on the dream stream. Like you'll, you'll, is if you're a repetitive customer to these these streams, there's only so many places to fish, right? Yeah. And there's there's those rivers that a guide knows like the back of his hand where it's like, all right, we tried to go down to this one river, wasn't working out, it was blown out, whatever. I'm gonna take you to this next river, we're gonna save the day. And eventually you fish a spot long enough, you can start picking up on who's guiding, you know, what time of day they start running around, what area of the river they start fishing. Um most of them are good dudes. You know, 90% of them are good dudes. They'll have a good conversation. Uh, but you definitely, at least in New York, you had those guys that are like, this is my water. Don't touch it. But New York is a lot more competitive when it comes to real estate for fishing, especially for the lake run, because there's only so many miles and you have a lot of people that are trying to get into it. Yeah, something I'm curious about as you're sitting here describing this coming from a, from the, uh, you know, the eastern U.S. and then, you know, haven't what you've been out west for a couple years now. No, not even about a 
month, month and a half. About six oh, gotcha. Weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So very recent. So, I mean, how different is it? I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a, I grew up hunting whitetails. So that's what I know. Obviously, Eastern and Western whitetail hunting is two different worlds. What's it like right. from a fly fishing perspective? What are some of those differences, New York to Colorado? Uh, so, all right. So in, in New York, right, I was fishing most of the lake run. That was probably 99% of the things that I fished for. Um, so what that means is out of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, and the rest of the Great Lakes, you have salmon, steelhead, and brown trout. Uh, steelhead's just another term for a rainbow trout, but they live in the lake during the summer, and then they hit the rivers come fall time. The salmon will spawn and die, but the steelhead and the browns will stay in the, in the river all winter. But they're migratory, right? So they're coming in. In the fall, they're hitting different pockets, different spots. They're getting up to their spots to spawn. And the brown trout will usually spawn late fall, and the steel will spawn in the spring. So it's 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 different because you're chasing a different result. Whereas here in the Colorado rivers, most of these trout are residential. So they live in the same pockets of water year-round, and they don't move much. So it's almost easier in New York because – you know, for the most part, they're freestone uh, rivers. There's a few dammed up rivers that you call them tailwaters. Um, and the tailwaters are easy because you know there's going to be fish in these holes from the minute that they hit the river until the minute that they leave in the spring. So you can go to the same spots day in, day out. Most of the time, too, these fish turn over, right? So some of them are going to move up. Some are going to move move back. But if I hit the same spot, and this is where guiding in New York was easy. So if I got out earlier before everyone else, got my spot on the river, I can guarantee most of the fish are going to be fresh, new fish, um, but it's my spot. It's my water. I know where the rocks are. I know where the holds are. I know where all the fish are going to be. Whereas Colorado, it's a more resident trout population. So you can, you know, a, guy, a good guide will pick up on, all right, I know where these big trout are going to historically lie. Um, I know where they're going to live, what they're going to eat on different times of day, stuff like that. But moving to Colorado, it's a vastly smaller game. In the, in the Lake Erie, Lake Ontario trips, I can go out with two different types of flies and just a ton of them in my pocket, and that's it. And here, it's just you need a far larger array of, of different flies, uh, different techniques that you're willing to employ, and the ability to recognize the conditions on the water because it's a lot more technical here when it comes to like the entomologies in the river and stuff like that. If that makes sense, Barry. Yeah, it absolutely does. That's fascinating too because that's that was something else I was thinking through. Knowing, you know, a little bit about fish biology, I'm no expert, but certain species have certain, um, you know, food sources that they time in on certain times of year, depending on what's what's hatching out, what's what's flying, etc. Um, a, a brown trout may eat something completely different than a than a rainbow at a different time of year, you know, etc. So that's fascinating to me that there would be that much difference in uh and the different types of flies that you're targeting based on the you know kind of the native entomology there from colorado versus versus new york makes sense makes all the sense of the world so do you think this is probably a stupid question but do you think especially something like the dream stream where this is a, a relatively resident bunch of trout that have probably been caught you know five or six times each in their life like do you think they get conditioned to learn like this looks, I mean, I, I know fish aren't that intelligent, like they're pretty instinctual, but is there any sort of conditioning that happens with fish to where they're like, this doesn't look right. I'm going to go this way instead of hitting, like, do you think that's a thing or are they just 
food is food. I got to eat. I got to fuck. I got to, you know, do the whole. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good one because if you ask a lot of old timers, you get some diehards in each group. You get, you get some diehards that are, oh, this is a wild trout stream. If I kick one rock in the wrong direction, the whole pool is going to be shut down for the day. And I don't, I don't think that's a true case on a true wild trout stream. I think that's an excuse for a bad fisherman. In my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to quote any specific science cause I don't know any specific science, but generally a trout will have about an hour's memory span. So if I go in there and walk through and spook some fish, I mean, I've caught wild trout that way where you go in there, you, you spook them up out of a riffle that you didn't see them in. You let them settle out. And then five minutes later, you can hook them. No issue. And then I have had trout where I have made the perfect approach, the perfect cast, everything. And they're just not taking anything. You know, they're just not aggressively feeding. Um, and that's where the Colorado trout is, is more, it's more fun in my opinion, because it's, it's more challenging. Um, especially coming from like, if I went out to an East coast river, like, it's almost not a challenge. I'd bring more beers than I bring flies. And I know like, <laughs> I know how to trick the, the, those moving trout into, you know, those moving steelhead into hitting something. Cause they're just, they're aggressive. They're in there, they're geared up their their sex hormones are on and they're just aggressive. So if you get one that's held up, you know, the king, the king of the pool kind of cat, um, kind of set up, it's easy to throw the bait in there. That's going to get them to hit it just because it's a purely aggressive strike. It's a purely aggressive strike and it's John's it's over here a, rubbing my leg. I thought it was the dog. It's a, it's a purely aggressive strike. That's just a territorial dominant thing. Whereas these trout in the Colorado rivers, they're, they're picking food out of, and they have so much shit coming at them, right? There's so many different types of bugs that are coming at them on a second to second basis that yeah, they can, they can hit anything that's right in front of them where they can be like, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. I'm not eating. And that was where was in, when we were on the Colorado a few weeks ago with my buddy up in Denver, we were fishing the salmon fly hatch. And these things, I mean, two, three inch bugs, they're, they're trout's wet dream. And they just weren't touching shit. They weren't hitting anything. Um, probably because we were catching the tail end of that, that, uh, that hatch and they were already gorged or, you know, gorged on it and they were full. They weren't really eating anything. Um, but yeah, to kind of circle back, like I, I've seen it go both ways where wild trout get spooked easy and it shuts them down for a couple hours. Uh, and in that case, the best way to do is just move on to the next hole, the next pool, because you can kind of guarantee that those are fresh fish that, uh, you know, haven't been fucked with for a couple hours. What really kind of stuck out to me when we started fishing together, which we, we've gone out twice, but, and as you taught me is growing up, I knew very little, I would go fish, but it was just a lot of you know, conventional tackle going out with, you know, night crawlers, or if we were going after uh, catfish, you'd go, you know, chicken livers or whatever. It wasn't, there wasn't very, it wasn't very technical. And we just kind of caught what we caught, you know? And uh, I never really learned how to re- read a river other than, I mean, fish like structure. Like I, I got that, but like, other than that, I like, didn't really know a whole lot. And with a lot of this stuff is there's a lot of parallels between, which makes sense, right? It's, it's animals, but like a lot of parallels between hunting and like your approach uh, to, to fishing, reading a river, to like reading the landscape, to like fish behavior, animal behavior. And like some of it is just random. Like you were saying, like you can do everything right. And then the deer just don't behave or you can be like getting in the stand late talking, 
you know, chatting it up. And then you're like my little brother who smokes one of the biggest you ever killed on our property doing everything wrong. And it just, it just happens like, uh, fuck James. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he killed a massive nine pointer, uh, probably top three biggest deer ever killed on our farm. And he self admittedly him and our other cousin Smith were just laughing and smoking and joking in the tree stand when this guy walked underneath him. Like <laughs> it just happens, is man. what it is. Yeah. It happens. It's just, and I feel like it's the same thing with really similar with fly fishing. It is. Yeah. You know, most of it is just being in the right place at the right time. And you get out there often enough, you're going to have those days where you put together 20, 30 fish days. Um, and I have done that in the wintertime in Buffalo where we, we just absolutely crush it. You know, we're, we're at the point where we're not taking photos anymore. We're tired of fishing. We're going to go home early. And then we go out the next day and we get nothing. Same fish, same poles, nothing. And they're just not batting a nine towards it. So it, it's all about exposing yourself out there. And, and the more you do, um, the more you key in on those things and you can do everything right and, and strike out and you can do everything wrong and, and just have a hell of a day where one fly lasts through 30 fish, even though it's a fucking <laughs> just barbaric tangle of yarn and, and string that's hanging off. And you're like, I don't even know what this thing looks like anymore, but <laughs> the fish are still hitting it. I've got a theory too, that once you catch one fish and you get that like fish slime on it, it, it fishes way better. <laughs> I have nothing to base that on besides just once you get the fish slime on the on the fly, it seems to get taken a little bit easier. I'll have to remember that. I mean, that does sound exactly like hunting where you'll have those days. I mean, how it was probably, I think it was four years ago, Perry, that one year where we just had that crazy rut where it just seemed like everything was just, I saw like three of the biggest deer I've ever seen. I saw more buck activity. I mean, I probably saw 10 bucks that year of various sizes, but three very mature ones. I don't know why I didn't shoot them. I was just like watching them and I was like, yeah, but yeah, it was just like the perfect storm. And then, you know, last season we saw almost zero run activity. It's crazy. Well, last season was weird actually, because I was there earlier in the season before you and Evan got up there and I saw a lot of activity early, but then it just died. It was like, it just absolutely died. The weather got a little bit warmer. Kind of had that little warm snap towards the end of the year. And, you know, it just completely shifted to the 180. I remember, dude, talking about fishing and just how it, you know, it can be hit or miss. We had a we had a spot on the river 10 minutes from where I grew up that my dad would always take, Evan and I. And it was always, you know, pretty good. Like, there were a couple of decent little holes. Uh, there were some rocks up river from us that um, had a, a couple little nice little runs and ripples and shoots and stuff. And we would go in there and catch smallmouth and red eye. And it was always pretty good, but like, it was never like a slam dunk place. It was just a place that the dad knew that the farmer we had access to and was convenient to the house. One day, one summer evening, uh, dad and I went down there just kind of on a whim. He was like, Hey, you want to go, want to go fish? And we get down there and something's hatching and the entire river is just covered up and the banks just covered up with, with flies. I don't, I don't remember what they were. We'll know where they were, but they, they were just everywhere, bouncing off your face, bouncing off your your legs. And dude, Dad and I caught more damn smallmouth that night than we knew what to, it was. It was literally almost every cast, and it was like you were saying, man. At some point, like after a couple of hours of that, I was like, well, this isn't really even <laughs> hard anymore. It's not a challenge. Like the novelty yeah. kind of wore off, and it was just like <laughs> it was crazy. And went back there, you know, the rest of our lives, and never had another night like that. It was literally just that we just timed it perfect that one night. And, and had a blast but you know yeah right and it, it's funny because for the most part those events happen 
almost daily on, on these rivers, especially around here. You know, you get these hatches, these caddisfly hatches or these stonefly or trico hatches. But it's at different points in the day and different points in the season. And obviously coming from busy backgrounds where you can't be on the river 24-7, um, you got to have enough in your arsenal to know, all right, what, what the fish are keying in on um, and have enough in the background to be like, well, let's just put on some generic patterns that might catch fish right now. And, and when those hatches do have, do happen, have enough in your box to be like, all right, we're hitting it. This is going to be a 20 fish afternoon and we're going to go home pretty, pretty happy. Yeah, I'm still waiting for one of those days. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the dream stream from, from talking to people in the, in the area, the dream stream has been uh, pretty difficult fishing this season because the water's so low and the dream stream is a tough river to begin with um, just because of how much pressure it gets. And so, you know, it's, it, we're kind of where we need to be right now in this season. Um, we need, we need more water. And once they start releasing more, um, it'll be easier to get into those. Yeah. Perry. So he's stepping off for a phone call real quick, but I guess we can kind of bridge into like, all right, if, if most of this audience is probably, you know, geared towards hunting, a lot of probably veterans, but um, I'm sure everyone's asking themselves, um, you know, how do I, how do I actually get into fly fishing? What do I get started with? Where do I go? Um, because it is definitely built up to be something far more difficult than it is. Um, so Perry, how about like from your perspective, what would you be asking? Yeah, that's that's exactly where I wanted to take this conversation because it is it's funny that that um, that we're having you on because Luke and I've been been talking about getting into fly fishing now for the, probably the past year or so. Um, actually, with my job, we just hired a kid that's a pretty good fly fisher, and I'm hoping he's going to take me out uh, pretty soon. He's got a couple extra rods that he said I could borrow, so I'm probably going to go buy some waders at some point here before too long, and I'm hoping to get into it, man. So my first um, my first question would be from a – again, I'm kind of similar situation to Luke. I grew up kind of traditional tackle, just fishing old farm ponds, uh, you know, the river, the new river that we grew up on, smallmouth, that kind of thing. Um, from a, just from a technique standpoint, cause you know, I know with archery, it's like, you want to make sure your technique is right from the beginning. You want to try to get your technique kind of dialed so that you don't learn bad habits. And especially, you know, I mean, hopefully I'll have a mentor with me, but from a technique standpoint and just like getting that cast, the feel for the cast, like just what are the, what are the types of, um, tips that you would give and the different training techniques that you would use for, for someone who's just starting out? Yeah. So you have your traditional flight cast, right? Which everyone can imagine the overhead cast where you're, you're, you're going back maybe to a 10 o'clock position. You're going forward to a two o'clock position. If you think about any, you know, fly fishing movie or YouTube video, this is going to be the basic fly fishing. It's just your basic overhead cast. And it doesn't need to be anything fancier than that. And the best way of training it is, um, you know, putting on a standard leader, going out in the backyard with your fly rod, and, and putting out like a hula hoop or a small bucket or, you know, a small target um, and just work your way back, you know, start at 10 feet, work your way back to 15 feet and, and look at what you're doing. You know, look at your rod going over your head. Um, make sure your, your loops nice and tight and make sure you're getting the feel of that back cast, that rod, rod loaded up before you start bringing it up. That's probably the, the biggest um issue most people just getting into fly fishing face is that they don't let their rod load up on the back cast they bring it forward too fast you end up intersecting that line and that's when you get the you know especially if you're fishing a two or three 
uh, fly rig, it just wraps around the, the rod and you're, you're cutting everything off and restarting again. And I can do that a couple times. I can <laughs> confirm that. that that's <laughs> definitely a thing. And so when you say load up, I just, because I'm not incredibly familiar with the terminology, I want to make sure I'm understanding what you mean. Is that kind of like when you're going back on your back cast, like that little kind of like pause yeah, that so, you see that. Exactly. So your rod's behind you, right? And you're letting all that fly line, whatever it is, 15, 20, 30 feet, you're letting it all stretch out. And if you have, um, I usually use like a size six woolly bugger that's got some weight to it, cut the barb off and there's your kind of training hook. Gives you just enough weight to help feel it on the back cast. Um, it's a distinct feel once you get it uh, and you know when you don't have it because if you're pulling your, your rod tip forward too quickly, you're going to intersect that fly line most of the time. But when you when you throw that rod back and you let that line spiral out and get into its tight loop, you're going to feel it on the backside. You're going to feel that pressure pull back and you're going to know, all right, you have a maybe half second window where you can pull that rod forward and launch that cast where you want to cast before, you know, cause you can lose momentum on the backside too, right? You can, you can, you can set up your cast and that, that fly goes back too far, loses its momentum and starts dropping. And that's what you don't want because that's when, you know, real world situation, if you're on the river and you got stuff behind you, you know, that's when you're nabbing rocks and branches and pulling flies off behind you uh, versus putting them where you want in that, in that target that. zone. <laughs> And that's where the dream stream is nice because you don't have as much behind you. And yeah. if you snag anything, it's just a loose piece of grass. It's easy to go get. Yeah. Versus the canyon where you're fishing in, man, that those rocks, those trees, they border right up to that bank. So you got to keep that thing tight. That's your standard traditional fly cast. That's your overhead cast. Uh, you know, traditional because you're using dry flies traditionally. So you want to get it back and forth a couple of times, dry that fly off before you launch it into the river again. So if you're just starting out, would you recommend someone to try to maybe fish in more of a little bit more open area. So that you have a little bit more maneuverability for that while you're still definitely, kind of getting the feel for that cast and not getting somewhere with, you got a bunch of structural garbage behind you. Yep. And if you're going out, so, you know, getting into fly fishing, right. If you have a friend that hooks you up with a fly rod or you take a guided trip, um, if it's your very first time fly fishing, uh, your first 30 minutes are just going to be learning how to cast. So the best way of doing that is doing it at home before you even leave to hit the river. Right. And for you, Perry, when, you, when you're talking with this uh, new work buddy, have him just bring a rod into work one day, have him cut off the barb of a woolly bugger and teach you how to cast in the parking lot. Cause you want to learn, you want to practice how to cast in a nice wide open area that you're not worried about what's behind you and what's in front of you besides a small target that you put out there. And you do that practice before you even hit the river. Um, because when you get on the river, you have, you know, your traditional overhead cast, you have your roll cast, you have snap cast. There's, there's so many other different types of casting to employ based on the situation. Uh, but I would say, you know, your overhead cast and then a roll cast are going to be your, you know, probably 80% for most fly fishermen uh, or women getting out there. But definitely, you know, practice before you get out there. But kind of circling back, getting into the into the sport, right? Like, how do you actually get into fly fishing? What do you what do you have to bring to a river? Who do you got to talk to? What do you got to do? What you're doing, Perry, and kind of what Luke did too, is like get just a hold of someone at work, you know, or close friends. Like, I, you know, there's probably far more people out there that fly fish than you would think. That's gonna be your best resource for some some good, just on the job training that you don't have to get, you know, shell out for a guide. Um, guide services are great and they're really good for exploring new water when you kind of know what you're doing. But if you can save a few hundred bucks and spend that on gear versus 
just the education, you know, start there. But if not, you know, go to your local fly shop. Most towns, most cities all have fly shops in them and they got everything that you could want there uh, to, you know, your, your fly guides that, that are going to run out of that shop. They're going to be able to cast, uh, teach you how to cast. If you go in there and say, hey, look, I'm trying to buy this this type of rod or this new rod, I guarantee you they have a casting setup uh, where you can go practice casting, you know, outside across the road. Uh, for the shop that I used to go to in Buffalo, they had a high school across the road. So they would just pull people out into the field across the road. You'd see people out there all day fly casting, you know, trying out new rods, getting a feel for this line, um, that kind of thing. But your your local fly shops are going to be your best, your best bet. And then go on YouTube, you know, YouTube basic fly fishing orvis has just an absolute shitload of instructional videos and breakdowns and they got everything you could want under there but nothing substitutes getting out there and actually putting a hand on a fly rod casting practicing that kind of stuff yeah sounds a lot like uh my my journey into bow hunting into archery you know yeah go to your local bow shop pick their brains um watch a million youtube videos from from guys that, that know what they're doing you know that's Right. It's all pretty, right. pretty tried and true stuff there. And if, if deer hunting with a shotgun is like traditional fishing with a spinning reel, you know, fly fishing is archery. It's that exact kind of same mentality. Um, and there's, there's probably no better out, like analogy with the outdoor worlds than, than archery to fly fishing. It's you can, you can probably catch way more fish with a spinning rod with live bait, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more fun and rewarding with fly rod that I made, you know, I'm tied the fly. I made the leader. I went and did the research and talked to the right people and keyed in on the right hatch. It's just way more rewarding at the end of the day, in my opinion. It's uh yeah, you mentioned least just as, if not more fucking expensive too. So I'm really <laughs> glad I added another expensive fucking hobby because I don't have enough of those as is. But we're also getting Luke like top of the line gear. So it <laughs> is true. It is true. I, it, I, I've hey, learned that lesson. I was a broke fucking high school kid getting into fly fishing with a $20 rod. I think I had a $35 reel. Um, and I bought the shit with like Christmas gift cards that came in from relatives and aunts and uncles. Like they'd give me a $25 Cabela's gift card and I'd fucking do whatever to make up the you know other five, 10 bucks. Um, so it can be cheap, but also know that cheap gear doesn't last very long. So yeah. <laughs> we're getting Luke the, the top of the line gear so that it, it lasts him some, some good seasons. It's just like hunting gear. I mean, you get what you pay for and you, you know, if, if you don't have the, you know, you're on a tight budget, like don't let that discourage you from getting out there and doing it. Just know that, you know, you got to save and you're going to be buying some new gear in a year or two. Yeah. And yeah, I, I did go top of the line on almost everything, pretty much everything uh, to start out. So hopefully I don't have to replace anything for the next five years or so. Yeah. And uh, just to put it in context, we, we went with Sims gear for Luke. Um, they make they do make some hunting gear, especially in like the, the waterfall area, um, some waders and stuff like that. But they primarily do waders and, and packs and bags and stuff for fly fishing and some fantastic outdoor jackets that are just top notch. They're worth, you know, as much as you pay for them. Uh, but then most of the, you know, fly rods, fly reels that I fish with are Orvis. Uh, and Orvis has a really good um, gear breakdown from entry level uh, with their Encounter series all the way up to their Helio series, where yeah, you can you can shell out a couple grand for a fly for a fly rod and reel, um, but that stuff's going to last you twenty five years if you take care of it. You know the Encounter series, I think they're one hundred fifty or two hundred bucks for their their basic outfits, um, 
that come with the reel, the line, and most of that stuff already uh, built in. So they're not too bad, um, you know, breaking the bank wise. But depending on how you how you treat it, you can probably get a good few seasons out of it. So you kind of kind of touched on it there, but just give us give us like a basic rundown of of the absolute like must have gear list for your first time, you know, starting out, like what you just absolutely have to have. Yeah. So, uh, definitely depends on the time of year, right? If it's summertime and it's warm, you know, you don't really need waders at that point. You need some, some good waiting boots. Um, but you can get boots and some neoprene socks that'll do, uh, just fine for wet waiting. You just go out in a bathing suit or shorts that you don't mind getting wet. Uh, and that's what we were doing yesterday. It's, it's fun, especially on those hot days. Um, but if not, you know, if you know the river and it's not too, uh, technical, you know, just, just some hiking boots or saw a couple guys out in sandals yesterday in the Canyon. So it can be whatever you're comfortable with footwear wise. Um, obviously you need a fly rod, right? So for most of your fishing, it's going to be a nine foot five weight fly rod. That's like your generic, like if, if you walked into a fly shop today and said, Hey, I want to go fishing for trout, uh, bass, sunfish, whatever your nine foot five weight is going to be your generic rod that can cover the small enough fish you know, it's light enough to cover the small fish, but it's also got enough of a backbone to cover, cover some pretty big fish. Can you explain? I mean, yeah. So the weight, down system, what, right? Yes. Like nine, nine foots, the yep. length of the rod and then the break down the weight. Yeah. So nine, nine foot's your, your standard rod length and everything else gets based off that. So I've got a couple of two-handed rods that go longer in length, but those are from casting further distance, right? But your nine foot is going to cover just about any type of river system that you're going to find across America. And then the weight of the rod, right? When I say a five weight rod, that generally means that you can, it can handle fish up to 10 pounds, right? So whatever the weight is, you, weight, weight of the rod, double that. And that's usually the range of fishing that you, you can handle with that. So I was fishing with a two weight yesterday, right? Can generally handle up to four pound fish, but if you know what you're doing, you can, there's some wiggle room on that end. Now this is like basic trout fishing 101 fly rod. Um, when I was out in New York fishing for steel and salmon, I was using the same, same length, nine foot rod, but it was an eight weight rod. So a lot more backbone, a lot more spine. You wouldn't want to use that for, you know, picture that being your heavy end of, your traditional spinning rod, uh, where your five weight is just like your basic medium flex rod. Um, I don't know why that is the, the way it is, but fly fishing has got to be a little challenging in that sense. So. Um, but if you go into a fly shop and say, Hey, I need a, a you know, nine foot fly, a five weight. Most of the time you can find a kit that comes with a reel that's already preloaded with five weight line. And sometimes they even have weeders that already spooled out on them. So getting into it, you know, that's going to be your, your basic rod that gets you into enough fishing situations. I mean, you can catch bass on them. You can catch carp on them. You can catch trout. You can catch just about anything under the world. I've seen people on YouTube catch sharks with a five weight. So it can, it can handle some, some weight, some variety. Um, but it's also light enough to catch, you know, eight, nine inch trout and not feel like you're just ripping a fish out of the water. Explain the, uh, what you were telling me when I first got started with the, the balance of the, the real weight with the rod weight. Yeah. So kind of going back to, to Perry and casting, right? Your, your rod length and weight needs to match the real size. Um, and your real size will generally be between 
you know, you can get one for like a two to four weight, your four to six weight, and then your six weight and up. Each of these reels are a little bit wider um, and a little bit more weight to them. And that helps with your back casting. That helps offset. So when I'm, when I'm throwing it back and the, the line's spooling out, it helps keep that balance. And your balance point should be right around the, the front of the cork, right where your finger, your, your index finger would, would sit on a rod traditionally. That's where you kind of want your balance point because you want everything moving. You know, your wrist is pretty locked during your cast. You want everything moving right around that point. Um, and again, you go into any fly shop, they're going to tell you exactly these things. They're going to say, this is what you want to feel. These are the, the you don't want to get a huge reel on a light rod or vice versa, because it's all about just balancing the rod out. Just kind of like you guys do with your bow. Yeah. With the stabilizers. Yeah. Yep. Well, that makes perfect sense. And I, yeah, I, I think, I mean, not that I noticed a huge difference cause I'd never thrown a fly rod before, but I was playing around with the the new reel you put on my rod and like, I could tell. Yeah. 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 So a little more balanced. Um, for context here, the first time I took Luke out, uh, one of my reels for that rod that I took him out with that nine foot five weight uh, was still in storage and was still making its way out to Colorado. So I put a three weight reel on, which is a vastly lighter reel for that type of rod. And you, I'm sure you could f- feel it the minute that you put the five weight reel mm-hmm. on. Yep. It's like, all right, this is, this feels a lot more solid and complete. Yep. Yeah, it honestly had like the same type. Obviously, it's a different motion, but like when you get that, the like you're talking about with the bow, when you get your right stabilizer set up, and you're like, oh, this is what this is supposed to feel like when you're first yeah. starting out in archery. Yeah, that's kind of I was like, oh yeah, this feels it feels right. Like it's, yeah. it makes a lot more sense, which is good. So your first time casting, I just completely threw you off. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> so the second time, you're like, oh, this oh, is yeah. what it's supposed to feel it's like. like. A handicap. It is. It is one of those things that you know. It's just like anything else. Like you can't muscle it. You have to feel for it and feel that that perfect finesse range um and then there's you know and that's just traditional fly fishing then there's euro niffing there's spay fishing there's you know five or six other types of fishing where you're like sounds like a sex move i gotta fucking relearn this shit again (laughs) (laughs) and that's i mean that's where it's fun like you can you can find a type of fish that or a type of fly fishing that completely challenges everything that you've already known and that's kind of what colorado trout fishing is doing for me because i'm i'm relearning um new techniques and tactics and stuff that you know i would take for granted with the the lake run fish out in new york just because it was easy for me like i've been doing it for so many years i knew exactly how long to make the leader exactly where to put the the weight exactly how far to space off the flies and now yesterday the first time i tried euro nymphing and it was just, you know, brand new. It was like starting over again. And then you figure it out. You get that first bite, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's where I got to be with the line and the and the water column, and start measuring the shit out and getting the feel for it." So that's the fun part about fly fishing. It is you can never really be too comfortable with it, and there's always something else to kind of challenge you, step outside your comfort zone, uh, give you an excuse to buy more gear. Like I've got fucking maybe 15 or 16 fly rods at this point. <laughs> Each of them have their own specific use and purpose. And most of the time I don't touch them for, you know, two or three years at a time, but um, you, you kind of buy something for the moment and it sits on the fucking wall for the rest of you, for the next five years. So. Yeah. We, we don't know anything about that. Do we Luke? <laughs> I'm an entire basement like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah, babe, I totally need this <laughs> one gun that I'm going to use for this one specific thing and then not touch again right. for 10 years. Right. But I can't sell it because we just don't sell guns. You don't sell guns. You don't sell fly rods. 
So I can go fucking down the rabbit hole, right, on this. Then we could talk just hours on just how to get into fly fishing, how to break through the door. But again, basic stuff. Make sure your footwear is good. Kind of like we were talking with your with your hunting equipment. You know, get the right boot that's going to feel good for eight to ten hours of hiking, um, up and down canyons, in and out of farmland, all that shit. That's like on that note. I went with a pretty expensive fucking pair of boots. Uh, they're two hundred fifty dollars. It was the Sims guide i don't know it was know. a guy three the yeah, guy three yeah. yeah it was not a cheap boot and it was one of those i was kind of skeptical i mean because like in my head i'm thinking like oh you're wading like i've waded in fucking tennis shoes i grew up fishing and wading in tennis shoes just how we fished and just the little bit of i mean we walked i don't know damn near a mile that one day uh in our waders you know just to get to the reservoir because we parked like idiots <laughs> uh because we just didn't know where to park fucking like, three parking lots between us and where we parked <laughs> but I got, you know, like you would expect in like water shoes is essentially is what they are to have like some issues. And I didn't, I mean, they, they, they're very comfortable. You know, you're wearing waders, you've got your, the, the neoprene on underneath them. Like you wouldn't expect that to be something that you could walk distance in. And I mean, I was sweating, but like it, they were really comfortable. And I think that's the type of thing, if you're going to do, you know, anything that's going beyond just parking and walking down, you know, 10 feet to the river, uh, any sort of backcountry type stuff, like definitely invest in those boots. It's worth the money. And I think I'll have this pair for the next couple of years at least. And I, I don't regret it now. At the time, I kind of had buyer's remorse. I was like, ah, I probably could have gotten the $100 pair, but I'm glad I went ahead and spent the extra money. Yeah, I mean, I, I've especially guiding in New York where those rivers are ice cold and sometimes you're, you're wading out to hip deep. I mean, those good boots have saved me and they've definitely saved a couple of clients that were, they were about to spill and they get caught in a weird current scene where they're not comfortable and I was able to jump right on them and get them out of there without, you know, ruining the day and getting them wet. Um, but that, you know, gives us our boots or, you know, if you have waders, uh, if it's that time of year where waders are applicable, you know, just go with something that's comfortable and go with something that's in your price range. Uh, understand like if you go on the cheaper end, they blow out a lot easier. You get holes a lot easier. If you go on the higher end, I've got the same pair of waders that I've used and guided in since 2016. So I'll let you kind of make your own conclusions on that one. Um, and those were the same same you got a newer version of the yeah, ones yeah. That I bought. those were this same deal as the yeah. uh as a, a g3 guy yeah, guide the, series the sims g3 yep. yep um so then obviously um you have you have two different types of kind of leaders that you can buy you can buy uh your manufactured tapered leaders uh which are all kind of line weight strewn out um and you know to make fly fishing more complicated your line weights have a x system so you have zero x through seven x and all that you know zero x think of maybe 20 pound line you're in that class down to seven x which is like two pound line uh and each you know zero x one x two x three x it goes um accordingly so you can buy the manufactured ones and i recommend you do just getting started out they have a, a tapered uh set length so they'll start at you know, 20 pound and they'll taper down to five or six pounds and it'll be over, you know, a nine foot stretch. Um, and this goes back to your rod, rod length. Your, your leader length should be about your rod length as well. You get too far of a leader. You're not going to be able to cast and turn it over with that fly line. You get too short a leader. You can spook the fish because you're throwing that fly line right on top of them. Um, so that's a little bit more technical, but there's, there's those manufactured leaders and then, like what I do is I buy the materials, you know, I buy 20 pound fluorocarbon all the way down to two pound fluorocarbon and I just make my own. 
So I'll, I'll do a stretch of, you know, a butt stretch of maybe 18 inches to 24 inches to 20 pound. I'll go down to 12 pound, go down to eight pound and just taper my own leaders out. And that way you're buying one spool amount of fill, or of uh, fluorocarbon. Always use fluorocarbon. Don't use monofilament. It's my personal issue. Um, but you can make your own, you know, a 200 yard spool of fluorocarbon is like 22 bucks. And these manufactured tapered leaders can be, I don't know, 10 bucks for a two pack. And I've fucking <laughs> first cast with brand new tapered leader, hit it with your rod and you're cutting the whole thing off. I'm like, fuck, there's $5 I just threw in the river. <laughs> um, but look, you know, look it up. If you Google how to tie your own leaders, you're going to find a hundred different answers by a hundred different people. It's rarely just what are you fishing for? Um, and you can, you can experiment, figure it out. And you, you'll, you'll feel what the proper rollover and turnover is on those leaders. Did you, I stepped away for a second. Did you explain why you went that weighted line on the front end? Did you talk that piece? Of the fly line? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of really fucking circling back, Perry. Most fly lines, right? Most fly lines are 100 yards in length. And your first 30 to 50 feet, uh, did I say yards or feet? 100 feet is what your fly line typically is. So it doesn't take up much line on a spool. Uh, most of the sp- actual spool of a fly uh, fly reel is just uh, Dacron backing. So 15 or 30 pound uh, you know, you know, string basically. And that that's filling up the fly reel so that your fly line doesn't get memory um, spun. So that when you actually cast it and pull it out, it's not just this tight coil of of spools. It's actually kind of spread out. It yeah. actually makes sense. But every fly line is about a hundred feet in length. The first anywhere between thirty feet to sixty feet is going to be tapered, and it's going to be weighted forward. So your weight forward line is what most people are going to fly fish with and what you're going to get from most shots. The whole point of that is your turnover for that fly. So when you're casting back, right, you're creating this nice tight loop and that weighted forward fly line is what's creating that loop. So all all you got to know is that the front 30 feet or so is usually far thicker than the, the, the previous um, 60 feet or so. And there's different fly lines for different techniques. Like I've got, fly lines that are very specific for throwing really large, uh, you know, bait fish looking patterns to lake run brown trout. I've got fly lines that are specific for nymphing. I've got fly lines that are specific for dry fly fishing. It gets a little crazy and you don't need to worry about it getting crazy. There's just generic fly lines that you can do everything under the same fly line. And again, you get like your basic starter package fly rod setup. It's going to come preloaded with that just basic generic, weight forward fly line that's appropriate for that reel but it, it's all about casting that's what it, all that that weight forward stuff is for um so all right so we got the the boots and waders we got the fly rod the reel the line uh next thing you know you, you need something fly you need flies and then you need something to hold all the flies in and i've gone as basic as a ziploc bag for flies um and you can get as crazy as you know foam slit um fly boxes that are all organized and it's, it's really shooter preference on the fly storage and the fly box. However you get out there, the Colorado fishing, um, and most of like, you know, inland trout fishing, um, it's going to be, you want as many patterns as you're comfortable carrying to a river 
Um, just like you said, Perry, there's so much shit floating through that Creek and it changes throughout the day. So if you can bring as many flies with you, it increases your chances of catching fish, but you have your generic patterns that are going to work just about any time and just about any place. Um, and if you, you can Google them, they're going to run down a list of your woolly buggers, your, your parachute, uh, atoms, your pheasant tails, um, Copper Johns, these generic trout patterns that if you Google right now, you know, fly trout flies, these are going to be the top 10 things that show up. Um, and they're good patterns for just about any creek because they're just generic patterns, right? And you can get them in any type of size. Um, and they're going to be good enough for beginners starting out. And it's all about fishing confidently, knowing that when you put a fly on, all right, this looks like something that's floating through this river some fish is going to be dumb enough to grab this thing and, and bite. And that is the harder part of fly fishing is when you approach that mentality of saying fishing confidently with what you have on. Cause I've, I've, I've fished shitty pieces of yarn attached to a hook. You're like, this doesn't even look like anything. Like what, <laughs> what the, what fish thinks this is actual food. And then they, they fucking slam it. All day, you're like, I don't know why this is working, but it's fucking working. So, like, out east, right, you fish with egg patterns all the time. And for some reason, like, chartreuse egg patterns just dominate. And I don't – I've never seen a fish shit out a chartreuse-colored egg. <laughs> like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But it it works, and it works really well. So, when I know – like, I'm putting this thing on, tying it on in the morning, I'm like, I don't care that it works. I'm just going to fish the shit out of it because I know – you know, I'm confident in it working. And that, that is like the 80% rule to this. And that's where, you know, so many fly fishing blogs and videos and stuff are going to say, have these five or 10 patterns because these are generic enough to work in any river. The next 80% is just fishing it confidently and fishing it properly and putting the right technique behind it, which again, fly fishing techniques, whole other podcasts. We'll get into that, but basic setup, you got your 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 waders and boots, your your fly rod and reel. You got some spools of tippet and leaders, and then you have your flies and something to carry those flies in. That's going to get you on the river. However you store it, however you carry it, that is all shooter's preference. I prefer hip packs. They're easy. There's get in the, get in and out of the way. Um, usually a sling around, and that's what we got you set up with too. But there's backpacks. There's I mean, it could be as, as simple as just taking your book bag out from from high school loading it up with some the stuff that you need, a couple waters, a couple beers. <laughs> Flask of whiskey. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely like the – except fucking pouches aren't waterproof, which I found out the hard way. Yeah, I found out my waders weren't <laughs> waterproof once too. <laughs> my fucking phone was sitting in a puddle. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> that's, that was never good. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, but what I liked about the Sims little uh, – hit thing i bought is it, it kind of is set up with like whatever sims version of molly is it's you know it's like the molly gear we use in the army so it's pretty modular but it's set up like a battle belt so you can swap out different pouches and i've always wondered why we don't use like a battle belt type setup at hunting more um because it's extremely like you can change it like to like i want to say like mission specific but like that's kind of what it is right like just, that's that specific environment whatever you, how you ever need to set up your kit. And I think that's going to be handy with the fly fishing. Oh well. yeah. You go, you go into the gear area of a fly fishing store. I mean, you're going to see the vests, the chest packs, the, 
sling packs, the backpacks, um, there's everything under the sun, but really you just got to look at yourself at the end of the day. What do I, what do I need to carry out with me? And what do I want to carry out with me? Cause I've had the full backpack with the hip pack and you're like, I'm just carrying shit to a river. I don't need, you know, let's, the, so, uh, Aaron Snyder on the Kafaru cast, he's the owner, partial part owner of the Kafaru backpacks makes really high end, uh, backcountry hunting gear stuff. The military uses as well. But uh, he always talks about like there's different stages in hunting. I feel like it's probably the same thing with fly fishing, except I got into it later in life when I had a little more money. But it's like you're in like the poverty phase of where you're just trying to like, you know, make do. And I was like back when Perry and I were hunting with like Walmart camo and like, you know, Carhartt that was ill fitting and whatever else we had. And and then you get into the gear phase where it's like, oh, you've got some money. So you got to like buy all the gear and you're just buying gear to buy gear. And you're like going into the woods with all this bullshit you don't need. And then you like then you start to dial in your shit, which is kind of where I'm at now, which is like, all right, like I can go more minimalist. I know what I need for each trip. Like if I'm taking it. There's a reason I'm taking it. So like you start to, to learn and phase it all out. Cause definitely I've gone through the gear phases where I'm out there in a tree stand with like, why do I have this much shit? <laughs> and I've uh, reverted to, I've gone too minimalist. And yesterday I went out into a fucking Canyon Six mile hike in eighty five degree weather with two beers and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> no water, no water, no food. I got down there with like a I ate like a cliff bar on the way to the river and a cup of coffee and I fucking put two beers in my bag and I went down the river and I was like, "Well, this is okay. gonna be a fun day." <laughs> Walking out when it was ninety degrees at three p.m. Dogs dying behind me. I was like, "Yeah, not." I've gone too minimalist. I've done that. I did that on my antelope hunt last year. My one Nalgene of water yeah. for. 85 degree you know weather 15.2 miles right. one liter of, like, of water part of the learning experience too coming out to colorado because like in new york i mean i was never more than a few miles from my truck and it was flat walking and it was pretty easy um but definitely like some of the more crowded rivers you're like you park at your access point you're walking maybe a couple hundred meters from the truck and you're good so like i've never gone into a canyon where i was like it took three miles just to get to the water Wow, now we're fishing for 10 hours and then walking three miles out, you know, so that's mistake made, but luckily no damage done. Yeah. I definitely think you should get one of those Steri pins. what I have. Um, yeah, my buddy had one yesterday. I tried it in the river. That's, yeah. That was pretty fun. You know, I mean, when you're getting water out of like a fucking elk wallow and it looks like chocolate milk, but it's <laughs> fucking water, like that's pretty gross. You're, you're, you're seeing the sediment and you're running that... Like, I'm going to steady pin this thing twice, like yeah. <laughs> try to run it through a bandana or something. It's pretty, you got to get past it, but it definitely for fly fishing, I feel like it'd be all, cause you're already obviously on the water. And uh, for those that don't know, a steady pin is a, it uses UV light to purify water. And so it does like a, a liter at a time and an algae and you just, it's, it runs off batteries. You just hit the button, the light flashes and you just like stir it until the light stops flashing and it kills everything on the inside uh, via UV. So it's pretty effective and they're lightweight and Everybody like really likes filters. Uh, the problem with I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but like the problem with filters is they fail uh, a lot when, uh, especially if you're you're trying to filter through like really thick, gross water, uh, they'll they'll fill it pretty quick. So it's usually good. I usually like to have like me with a steri pin and then a buddy with a filter because like the filters are good for pulling water out of small pools where it's hard to get the analogy in or whatever. But, but yeah, that's a side tangent there. Yeah, that one's getting added to the fly box. Yeah, they're like a hundred bucks. No, they're, I've, I've loved mine. I've, I've used it the whole time I've been in Colorado. I've always wondered, like, why the hell the Army doesn't issue them. Yeah. I remember being at a JRTC, 
and which is the down in Fort Polk, Louisiana. It's like one of our big training events, uh, like simulates like invading a country or some shit. And, uh, I was uh, in the 101st at the time. So we were light infantry and we were like walking and we like ran out of water. So we got tack frozen, which like in this scenario, they're like, you're out of water, stop. But then they brought us water. So we wouldn't like real world die, but we we're sitting next to a Creek. Yeah. And I'm like, we're, we're like, can't continue the mission. Cause we don't have water, but we're next to a Creek, but we're not, we can't like, why don't we wish or issue fucking water uh, purification? Like, yeah. Like we've, we've gone away from that little yeah. field craft in the army. So right? bad. Like, we're it's- so comfortable having, Food and water right at our rear, always ready to pull up. That yeah, we, like can't, we can't drink natural water that's coming out of the ground. It's crazy. And like the number of guys in my infantry platoon when I was a PL that couldn't build a fire was like mind blowing. Yeah, or like set a snare to catch game, yeah. small game, anything. Like we're just, we're so away from fieldcraft, and I think that that's something we kind of got off. But like it applies to the mistakes we made, you know, hunting and fishing without bringing water and stuff. But if you you have the ability to know how to purify water, know like what water, like, even if you don't have purification, it's like, okay, I can probably drink this fast moving water. That's, you know, coming straight out of the mountain, you know, or like, you know, yeah. Having some idea of that field craft, it's really important and it can fucking save your life. Yeah. No doubt that that's surprising to me from two, uh, talking to two guys in the army here that the army doesn't teach more of that stuff and, and have more, more stuff available. It's kind of a little disturbing to be honest. <laughs> No, no comment. I'm not going to comment on <laughs> well, that. We're going to get yeah. back on the fishing. On the current yeah. state of the army, based on my recent experiences, we're just going to let that one lie. All right, Perry, it's back to you. Like, do, Fair uh, enough. Back to the fly vision. Is that enough where you can say, all right, I, I can confidently, you know, over the last hour, can confidently say I can pick up a rod and at least get myself to a river? Yeah, for sure, man. I think it absolutely is. The, the, the only other thing that is uh, – it's kind of gnawing at me a little bit here. A little, little curious about is because you, you kind of, you kind of alluded to it uh, just a little while ago when you're saying like 80% of the time, it's more about the technique with, you know, a half a dozen or a dozen kind of tried and true um, variations. But I was, one thing I was curious about is one, like how much, <clears throat> how much knowledge ahead of time do you need to have of like actually tie the flies and like getting into the weeds with the flies themselves. And, and then two kind of building on that, based on the specifics of the the river that you're fishing or the area that you're in, um, knowing the, the aquatic entomology and like how, how, how dialed in do you try to get on that? Or do you just kind of go back to those tried and true methods and just make sure your technique's solid? Yeah. So that was my, my next point is, you know, how do you approach a new river? And even, even me, right. Who's, who's been doing this for 15 years how do I come out to Colorado and, and find a new river to fish and, and fish it confidently? Um, and it is a two-part equation. One, most most of the fly fishing secrets out there aren't any more secrets. So books are um, – there's a great series called Fly Fishing. Um, it's, you know, whatever state you're in followed by fly fishing. So I've got a book on Colorado fly fishing, North Carolina fly fishing, Georgia fly fishing, and now Colorado fly fishing. I forget the publishing um, people who did it, but they pretty much have done every state in the, uh, at least the continental United States. And they said, this is how you fly fish in this area. And it comes down to, you know, big rivers, small rivers, public access, private access, um, time of year to fish and how to fish it. And each river, especially out here where there's, there's so much in these rivers, but each, 
you know, part of the year has its primary time where you say, all right, it's now, you know, end of June, we're going into the summer months. What is a Colorado river going to have in it? And these books can tell you. And then next behind the books go on, you know, just straight up Google search. There's going to be local guide shops and there's going to be local blogs that tailor to that area. Um, and that's a wealth of knowledge. There's a lot of people in the fly fishing world, um, since it's so catch and release and sustainment oriented, um, they're very good about putting up that information as just public information with the kind of expectation you don't like spot blow up or, you know, try and blast everything out on social media. That's and, and mo more spots are going to get more exposure. Uh, but there's always those offshoots. There's always those small little creeks that get forgotten, forgotten about and stuff that you can fish in the same way with that base education. Um, so like when I was coming out to Colorado, right, I, I was looking, I bought the book. So when I was still, still in South Carolina, brushing up on just a couple spaces on around the Colorado Springs area. All right, what's a drive, you know, what's an hour drive away? What's a two hour drive? Because the difference between an hour drive, you know, that's an easy day trip. Two or three hour drive, you're making different plans for the day. You know, might might be an overnight. It could be a day trip, but it's going to be a sucky day trip because driving six hours and then fishing for 12. I've done it a few times. Not always the most fun. Um, but then once you do those two things, I um, I always get on Instagram. I look up, you know, you know, you do your hashtag, hashtag searches or local fly shop searches, and they're gonna they're gonna spot shame enough because they're trying to draw an audience to that that area. And you give them a call, most of them are always friendly. And if you go into a physical fly shop, bring a couple beers. I mean, they're they're just most of the time they're just dudes who like fishing. Bring them a couple beers to a fly shop. And be like, "Hey guys, like where where are the spots to go? Especially, you know, time of year, what to fish." And they'll get you hooked up. But definitely buy some gear from from them. Buy some flies from them. It's kind of like the uh unwritten fly shop rules if you go in there you don't have to bring beer but you know buy some flies at least buy 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 a hat buy some stickers you know support that business because there's very few fly shops that are um you know commercial fly shops most of them are, are very tailored specific may make most of their revenue on guiding income so if you're just coming in there and saying hey i'm brand new to fly fishing or i'm brand new to fly fishing in this area you have to bring something to the table where it's worth them you know, giving up some information. And most of the time that's just, Hey, I'm going to buy a couple dozen flies from you. I'll bring you a couple beers or, you know, let's, let's start a relationship where I eventually, you know, buy some, some bigger gear and support you throughout the day. Um, but those are kind of your three ways to do it, but you know, getting some local Intel is pretty easy. Unfortunately, luckily enough coming out here, big dude on Instagram that is in our brigade too. So I hit him up like, Hey man, I'm coming to third brigade. Um, you know, what, what do you got? What are the spots? What are the flies? And then you go cross-reference that stuff with the, what the guides are telling you, what we the should, fly shops We should try to get him on the podcast. Oh yeah. I'm sure he'd be. <laughs> so I, we were out fishing in the same canyon yesterday. Me and my buddy caught probably a dozen between us, probably hooked up another dozen. He had like 30 fish day, 40 <laughs> fish day by himself. This dude's just un, unreal with his small trout game. And he's like, catching trophy like monster fish for 30 <laughs> and we're catching like the me medium-sized fish that are just retarded enough to bite our flies but, like his his fly tying videos on instagram and his fly fishing stuff is out of this world he he makes me you know puts me to shame yeah we might uh, definitely have to get him on does that help perry does that make sense 
Yeah, it does make sense. It's very helpful. This is this has been great. It's, it's, it's good. You're my sounding board on here because yeah, a lot of things that make sense in my head don't always translate well. So well, it is. It's a little bit tough, you know, being remote here. But I think you did it. I think you did a great job breaking it down for folks that are going to be listening to this. And it's something I'm excited to get into. I know Luke's been been uh, he's been amped about getting into this world. So definitely appreciate you coming on and and dropping the knowledge for us. It's been it's been awesome, man. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun getting into it. And John obviously has made it very easy for me because I had no idea where to start. Like I went down to one of the local fly shops when I first got here and was looking and it's like, man, do I really want to spend $350 on their little like fucking fly fishing academy or whatever, which I mean, it's fine. You're paying for the knowledge. You know, it is what it is, but it's definitely been nice to have a buddy who's like, nah, you're not doing that. Like, let's go right now. Like, Fuck. All right, cool. And so it's, it's definitely shortened the learning curve. Not that I know what I'm doing, but at least feel like I could go down to a river by myself and at least throw some flies in the water and pretend like I'm fly fishing. <laughs> you know, I'm probably not going to catch anything. So I haven't yet, but it's, it's still, it's just a lot of fun. It's one of those things that I do feel like it's kind of the bow hunting of the fishing world. Like you start to get into it and you're like, I, I'm probably not going to catch anything, but like, it's just a lot more fun. I don't know. I don't, I, it's hard to explain why, but it's just, it is a lot more fun. Like just than just, you know, conventional tackle casting. Yeah. We've talked about it with, with the bow hunting thing. I mean, we, we don't need to, but it's it, the way you were describing it, John, just some of the, the technical aspects. And then like, you can just see, I, I can just see and, and hear in your voice as you're talking about it, you know, it's just something that you develop that passion for. And the more you get into it, the more you love it. And the, you know, it's just one of those things that builds and you're, you know, you're probably never going to set it down. It's going to be something that you do for decades. And I already know for me, it's, it's the same with bow hunting. Obviously, like, I'm not going to stop hunting, but just, I'm so glad I got into bow hunting. I wish I'd done it earlier. And I, uh, I would imagine it's going to be the same with fly fishing. Like just another, like you said, Luke, just another expensive time consuming hobby to add to the list. I'm sure my wife's yeah. going to be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. But I want everyone to know, like, it is a spectrum when it comes to the level of difficulty, the level of you know, expense that you put on it, you can definitely get into it on the easy side, on the cheaper side and get your feet wet and then start buying, you know, more expensive gear, like throughout the years as you get better. And as you're like, oh, okay, I've kind of figured out this, you know, standard fly fishing. Now I want to go into, you know, this other subset of fly fishing. So I don't want to turn anyone off with that thought that, Hey, everything's expensive. Everything's time consuming. It is, it is a create your own adventure. And that's like, that that's probably the only breakaway from bow hunting is there's not that dire consequence on the end, you know, where you're like, fuck, if I don't kill this deer in this season, like, like, I mean, you can fly fish year round. You can go for two hours or you can go for 12 hours. You can go for the hundred dollar rod and reel setup, or you can go for the $2,000 rod and reel setup. Um, and, and you can get the same result at the end of the day as catch fish, right? Like, it doesn't matter how much money you put into it. It just matters about your time and your focus out there. And that's where it's really nice as, you know, veteran community when you're like, need to take a fucking break from life. Like most of these places are remote enough where you can go, you know, detach and get back into nature, but you're not so far remote where you're like, oh, I got to go back back into the fucking woods for three days, you know? Yeah. And that's what I've been really excited about with getting into it is, it's a excuse to go out, but you know, I've got a baby on the way coming in a couple months. Like 
it's going to be a little bit harder for me to go do a five, you know, eight day elk hunt, but I can go fly fish for three hours. Like I can sneak away. My wife's going to be fine if I go leave for, you know, four or five hours when I can't really do that with a lot of the Western hunting, you know, even like you could with maybe whitetail hunting where you can just go sit for a morning out here. It's a little more of a time commitment. Antelope, you can do some day hunts. I mean, you can day hunt elk. People do it, but it, for me, where I live, it's 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 a lot harder because I live off the Front Range. I live, you know, east of Colorado Springs, so it's it's a little more of a drive to get up. But there's fishing on Fort Carson, right where we fucking work. You right, know? and I'm you can three and you can miles bring the family down. out. You yeah. can bring, like Dreamstream. That's a great one to have the kid on your back because yep. it's not a very difficult waiting. I'm just gonna get better casting so I don't hook that exactly. little bastard yeah. in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he might not be too happy with you. <laughs> That'd be a quick way to get out of the Patagonia, fly fishing world. Patagonia baby suits and just bundle him up. He'll be good. Just put a neoprene. <laughs> uh, take him off for a quick, get this hook out of him, and uh, he'll be all right. Good thing I got those pliers. Well, I'll, I'll only run barbless when I have the kid on yeah. my back. But there's there's that variety, right? And you can you can you know dream stream is about as easy as it comes when it goes to wading and hiking in. Uh, where I was at yesterday down in, in uh, Decker's, a little bit more technical. Like, probably wouldn't have a baby on my back. But if you had a top, like, there's plenty of toddlers out there hiking with their family and dogs. So it is one of those sports that you can you can do it year-round. You can get the family involved. Or you can, you can you know, turn the phone off, leave it in the truck, and, and go get a few good hours of true detachment and escape, um, which hey, we all fucking need. So Yeah, absolutely. That's – I was really jonesing because I missed turkey season with MTC and all that. Like I was like getting some like serious withdrawals from the woods. And then just those two days that we went out fly fishing were just like very therapeutic. Wasn't catching shit, but just being out there and that like, it's gorgeous. You know, like we fished the dream stream the first time, which is on the South Platte in between two reservoirs in Colorado. And you're just on this, you're in this basin with these fucking snow-capped mountains, like, it's just, the vista is unreal. Like, you're just standing out there, like, people pay thousands of dollars to come hang out in places like this, and it's, like, an hour from my yeah, house. Yeah, it's like, a fucking hour drive. Now. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'm bitching about a 45-minute, or a 45-mile drive. Yeah. People fly across the fucking world for this. Yeah, you know, and then you've got the, the river, and then you've got two reservoirs you can also hit and fish on, you know, on the lakes that are, you know, two miles either direction from the river, like that stretch of river. So it's, it's cool. I mean, it, it, it's not that crowded. Um, antelope all over the place, mule deer. I mean, fucking, we saw some massive beavers, which I gotta, I gotta see the game laws on yeah, positive beavers. Beaver. <laughs> a beaver looked like a little bear. Some bitch was the biggest beaver I've ever seen in my life. I was like, that some bitch make a good hat right not there. Not a fucking tree in sight either. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he was doing out there. <laughs> the hell was it eating? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I saw like, that. Dude, it was huge. Yeah, like sun was going down. It was pretty. I mean, it was, we were hitting that tail end of the, the night, and this fucking thing started moving. Yeah, like there's two old boys that were like, like I think sorry, that's a beaver. And I looked over there, I was like, there's no way that's a beaver. There's not a tree anywhere on this river. And I look over, <laughs> and then I saw it's like he like his tail kind of flopped a little bit. I mean, that tail was long as hell. I was like, dude, that is a big beaver. Like it looked yeah. like a like a little bear. Like he was huge. <laughs> yeah. Pro tip. If you're fly fishing and see a beaver, you stay the fuck away from it. Cause those things have killed a few people in New York. <laughs> they get very Damn. territorial about their little stretch of river. <laughs> That's wild. I would never would have thought that. Yeah. 
If, was, you, if you Google beaver death, there's far more on there than you think. There are. <laughs> I've never heard about that. I might have to do some research on beaver. I mean, death they got by beaver. Yeah. They got, I guess, you know. I've had one charge me. Get uh, bit or, in the leg. Like get close to charging me on, on a river up in New York. The thing was probably 10 feet up river and I was slapping it. It was slapping the water at me. And I was like, all right, I'm fucking giving you some space, man. Well... This was a this was a good one. I uh, sent a message to Perry in the middle of this. I was like, "This is the most technical podcast I think we've had, um, at least for sustained good knowledge." Yeah. Uh, it was pretty on point. So, John, you're definitely. Uh, I feel like we just scratched the surface. So that's now you're de- but, we'll definitely have you back on, man. Yeah, I mean, have your listeners hit you up. Um, if you guys got questions, let me know because I know it's a, it's a intimidating sport to start off in. Um, but if I can do anything for your audience, it's break down those barriers and get people fly fishing. Yeah, and and on that note, uh, announced that John's the newest member of the HLE team. Uh, we brought him on because of his wealth of experience in the uh, fly fishing world, and plus he's just one of the bros, so it just was an easy fit and made a lot of sense. Uh, we got to get him out on the hunt this year. That's the big plan in the fall because he hasn't done a whole lot of that, but he definitely uh, lifts and definitely likes to eat. So it's been a it's been a pretty natural fit, and uh, we're we're excited about it, man. We're where can uh, everybody find you on social media? Uh, so I'm on Instagram, John J. Hatton. Uh, it's a private account, so just you know, request to follow me. I'll accept everyone. Um, but that's that's prim- primarily where I'm at. Yeah, small YouTube channel. Where I got made a couple videos from back home. Um, then I'm gonna start. You know, once I get my feet wet in the Colorado, get a little bit more comfortable out here, uh, start making those videos. And that's just John Hatton on YouTube. Um, but definitely Instagram. It's where I'm most active. Hell yeah, yeah. We're definitely. Uh... Looking forward to expanding HLE into a lot more of the fishing stuff. I'm actually working right now to develop the uh, fish lift eat line. So we're going to have a couple, some fishing shirts, some different stuff, uh, designing a new logo. That's just going to be, it'll still be on the same website and everything. It'll just be a separate line with some kind of fishing gear, uh, mostly because now that I'm getting into it, I kind of want some fishing gear. So I've had a few people ask for it. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And then obviously adding you to the team, we've got some expertise because there's no one else qualified to talk fishing. <laughs> Definitely not me or Perry. Definitely not. I tell you what though, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and I'm excited to, uh, to get out there and give it a shot. Hopefully sometime in the near future, we'll have to see. And then hopefully get, get into this world and, and keep, keep uh, picking your brain. Try to be, be fun. I'm looking forward Absolutely, to it. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Come out and visit Colorado. Cause I'd love we'll get to get you hooked up out here too. Yeah. yeah I'll be that, I'll be that guy. Flies, oh, yeah. flies across the country. We'll go go do some fly fishing. Oh, you get into you get into Denver. We'll take care of everything else. So, yeah, he's coming down for uh, like a week after the baby's born. So, uh, I think we're gonna go after some antelope over the counter archery. Get our asses kicked. Do not <laughs> have high hopes for that hunt. <laughs> yeah, but it's we, we fish in September, river right down the road. <laughs> we oh, you can fish year round. So yeah, we'll uh, well the, there's antelope. One of the re- the spots that I want to hunt antelope uh, with archery is near the dreamstone excuse me near the dream stream so oh, we yeah. could line that up to where we bring the bows and if we, maybe we tag out early maybe we don't yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna fly across the country get my ass kicked with a bow chase an antelope and get my ass kicked fly fishing it'll be, it'll be great you're only gonna spend like 1500 dollars to do both yeah <laughs> Hey, it's all about the experience, man. It's, it's it sounds all about like the a fucking blast. Man. I can't, I yeah. can't wait. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked. Um, we do have a 
pretty big announcement as far as the podcast goes that we haven't announced yet. We're joining the uh, the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, which is pretty awesome. I don't know a lot of our listener, listeners are probably familiar with like the Waypoint TV app, and so we're joining uh, on with them. It's going to change a little bit of the experience. Um, the content's going to be exactly the same. We're retaining full control over the podcast, but with uh, we we are going to have um, some advertising that we don't control, uh, which is a deliberate decision that Perry and I made. Um, initially we were, we were pretty resistant to that, but just as we grow and as our, it just kind of the natural thing, it's going to enable us to one, have better guests, better equipment, more production value, and just continue to improve the level of content that we provide you guys. And so, um, it's not a decision we came to lightly. It was, you know, Perry and I had a pretty long conversation about it, but I think it makes the most sense for us going forward. Yeah, I think so. We, we, uh, we talked about it a lot. Um, it's, it, it, it does, it will change a little bit in terms of the advertising. And that was, that was obviously, like I said, kind of our biggest hang up, but I think, I think it's going to be nothing but, um, beneficial to our listeners and with the improvement to the content that we're going to be able to provide, um, the expansion of the networks, you know, getting guests on, um, we're just, we're really focusing on trying to, trying to grow this, grow the podcast along with the brand. And I think this is a great opportunity for us and we're just um we're grateful for it and it's i I think at the end of the day the listeners are going to be um are going to be excited about it so just excited as we are so yeah it's it's something something that we're excited about we're looking forward to yeah we absolutely are and i don't think this episode will fall under that it'll probably be next uh thursdays or maybe even next tuesday's tips that'll that'll fall i've got to finish the migration over from our current hosting platform to the new one the new one's going to open up a lot of doors. It's going to have a lot uh, of just different options. And as we go through and build it, or hopefully build out like, you know, a little bit intro music and kind of spice things up a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's going to be cool and we're excited. And I think it's just part of the natural progression of our growth as we continue to grow and expand this thing and learn. And I'm excited for the relationship. They've been absolutely phenomenal thus far. Uh, very supportive they're going to teach us a lot because there's some very successful podcasts that are part of that network. And then we're going to be able to have a lot of their, you know, guests or have, you know, those hosts on as guests. And then we'll go on some of theirs and do a lot of cross promotion. So it's going to be pretty cool. We're really excited about it. Um, we've also got the, the gym line I announced um, today, which is Sunday, but the, uh, the gym line is going to drop on 17 July. Uh, that's going to be a men's, and women's line. It's a, a very robust women's line and then several new men's garments. We're going to have two new hats, at least maybe a few more. And then we're also dropping uh, two programs um, that Pete and I developed, mostly Pete, but it's with some of my inputs and it's going to be, they're going to be awesome. Th- these ones will be paid. Um, these are full 12 week programs that are just kind of a continuation of the couch to mountain. And there's kind of two paths. Uh, Pete and I kind of talked about it on the last pod, but you're looking at um, one path that's more gym focused, a lot of barbell work, a little more equipment. And then the other path is the same equipment from the couch to mountain program. So that's going to be pretty awesome. And they're, I'm really excited about both of them. They're, they're two programs that I'm definitely interested in hitting myself. And then I think, uh, I, I think you guys are going to like them as well. That's good stuff, man. I'm looking forward to, to see what those programs look like. I don't know that I'll be ready to hop on one of those two yet when they, when they drop, but I'm sure, a lot of our listeners um, will have will have some good good feedback on that, and that's that's going to be pretty awesome for the community out there. 
For sure. Where can everybody uh, catch you on Instagram now, man, now, now that you finally joined the, the social media? Yep, I'm out there now. You can find me at perry.r.eisner, um, I-S-N-E-R. Uh, look me up. We're trying to get to 10K followers, you know. We'll be the first team ever to 10K. <laughs> Beat all you suckers. I have 12K, dumbass. <laughs> all right, fuck you, Luke. <laughs> the brand page will hit 10K pretty soon, I think, if we continue on our – it's kind of crazy. I never thought that it was going to take off like that. But, yeah, guys, if you don't already follow us, which I'm sure you do, but if you don't, hit us up at HuntLiftDeedOfficial on Instagram, and you can check me out at Luke.D.Cox if you want to follow my personal account. Please, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but please go give us a rating and review uh, on Apple Podcasts. If you guys follow us on Apple, that's really big. It's big for our advertisers, and it's big for us going forward with Waypoint. Um, the more reviews we have, the more um, five-star ratings we have, the better. Uh, I would really appreciate that. And then definitely go check out all of our merch and everything else at huntlifty.com. But as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thank you so much.